Hello world, uh, you are watching Angular Air. Uh, my name is Kent C. Dodds, and I am joined by two spe special guests. Uh, first, uh, Pascal Precht. I, I, I should have asked, what you, how do you say your last name, Pascal? How do you say your last name? It's Precht. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, you can, you can do it. <laughs> so, yeah, that's Pascal. Um, and then Chirayu uh, Krishnapa. Yes, hi. Awesome. Uh, and Pascal has work, done a lot of work on his library called Angular Translate. It's like, honestly, de facto standard for IE18N in, in Angular apps. Um, and then Chirayu's done a lot of work, and, and I believe Pascal's done some work uh, on Angular 1.4 and uh, internationalization in the framework itself. And so we're going to be talking about internationalization today. Uh, we're pretty uh, stoked to have them here. So just a couple of announcements before we get started. Um, next week's show is going to be April 7th, so we're doing weekly shows again. Um, I'm actually going to be in the middle of Philly Emerging Tech um, at, uh, in Philadelphia, uh, which will be fun, so I'll have to find like a closet somewhere to, to do this show. Um, but we're going to do it um, uh, next week with Paul and uh, Roderick um, about contributing to the Angular framework. Uh, so if you've ever been wanting to see a change happen or make a change, um, this is this would be a great show that you uh, we want you to watch. And then, uh, as always, follow us on Twitter and Google Plus to know uh, the shows that are upcoming. And um, remember to ask us questions. Right now, uh, for this show, we don't have any questions. Um, and so you are able to submit questions until the end of our show. And so be sure to get on there uh, to submit any questions that you have. And we'll look uh, before the end of our show. So um, without any further ado, let's go ahead and get ourselves started. So um, we say I18N. What does I18N mean, and why do we care about that? Either one of you guys can answer any of these. So, so maybe I just start on that one. Um, so I18N is uh, basically a sort of acronym for internationalization, which is um, a sort of like process to um, make your application available in different languages, for example. And uh, so Shirayu and me, we gave a talk on that topic um, at ng-conf this year. And uh, there we also explained that there's much more involved than just um, translating application messages from one, from one language to another. So you need to uh, think about how, how do you get your messages out of your application, how do you um, hand them over to your translator, and when you get them back, how do, do you get them back into your application. And so there's a whole like process around it and um, a lot of different uh, subtopics um, that you need to consider. Uh, yeah. Do you have any comments uh, to you about that? Um, basically, what Pascal said, it's basically that, right? So uh, one analogy I've used for myself, and I don't know how it helps other people, is to think of things like uh, when, when you started having your products available across the world, um, one of the things people needed to do was also adopt Unicode. And it was very simple when your applications were all ASCII because you could treat byte streams the same as, say, text. You didn't have to distinguish. And internationalization, the, the two parts that uh, like Pascal mentioned. So internationalization is like saying, I'm going to make my code Unicode safe. Right? It's not Unicode safe, but it's, make, it's structuring your application in such a way where you distinguish what needs to be translated and what doesn't in, in a way where it doesn't take too much effort. So that when you do want to say, 
I want a French version of my application. That part is then going to be easy because it's been structured. Like for instance, the same analogy as Unicode or something, right? Like if your application had a, a distinction between text and bytes, which were like actually supposed to be bytes, then you only had to deal with text being Unicode and all your everything just magically works. But if your libraries mix them up, then it's a problem. And it's the same with internationalization. If you structure your application in a nice way, then you, when you want to localize it, you can use some tools which can understand all this stuff and make the job super easy. And uh, that's that's a thing called localization. Maybe that's like L10 or something. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's a beer full of acronyms. <laughs> Yeah, so I think that's actually an important distinction, uh, localization and internationalization. So uh, can you talk to that a little bit more? Um, what, what falls under the umbrella of localization and uh, what's, what's different with internationalization? Right. So, so internationalization is really, um, really the process of making, making it easy to localize your application. So um, making it possible that your, that your application is actually localizable. Um, so that's at least part of it. So, like, for example, when you use something like Angular Translate, um, maybe we're going to talk about that one later, um, you, f for example, you start replacing all of your concrete text messages in your application with uh, translation IDs. So they're like a sort of abstraction, right? And this is like the internationalization part, like making your application internationalizable, and then you localize it with concrete uh, translations um, yeah, later at runtime. Okay, that makes sense. Um, uh, so uh, we we did talk about this a little bit, but um, I just like, do you guys know of any? And I didn't ask you this before, uh, but do you know of any uh, statistics about uh, why uh, developers should care about internationalization? Like, uh, what percent of uh, inter well, I don't know. Uh, like, maybe the the point that I'm trying to get at here is like why. Does it matter to me as a developer that um, people of other um, language, uh, people who speak other languages or who have different formats for numbers, like why do I care that my stuff is consumable by them? Um, I don't know. Like Pascal's probably going to follow up on this, but I can like give you my two cents on it. And as a developer, it depends on where you're developing. For instance, if you develop at Google, you don't have a choice because if you want to launch a product. You're supposed to have it like upwards of 40 countries, right? You had a support on launch day upwards of 40 countries, typically. Like it, it, it doesn't mean that uh, everything has to work. For instance, like you know, the Play Store may not work outside the U.S. on its very first day of launch, but it should still be internationalized and stuff like that. And if you're not working at scale, even then, it turns out that you want to have things be internationalized, not because you want to support a different locale today but that you want to support it sometime in the future, and it doesn't take you that much effort to do that today. Like, if you follow those practices, you don't take yourself into a corner. And it's, it's even simple things. For instance, um, recently we were just going to run a birthday party, and in the car we were talking about stuff. One of the things is, I prefer my dates to European style, it turns out. I did not know it was a European style. But I want to have the year first, and then the month, and then the day. So in every UI, I configure my preferences to that. And uh, somebody else may want to have their your local thing. Even though I'm in the US, I'm choosing a different style, right? And you want to allow your application to do these things. And for, for structuring your application to enable this is kind of similar to structuring it to enable it for internationalization. You kind of will solve both. 
as opposed to not thinking about it. And then when you do have to go change this, as for this new application, it's a much larger effort because you had to go find every possible place you could be doing any of these things. Uh, this guy has way more to say about it. <laughs> well, so w w what I can say from my experience is um, at some point, you just might do build an application that just needs to be available in different languages and different regions. So there's just no other way. Um, and at that point, you just need to find a solution to do that. And it turns out that there are actually a lot of people out there who, who need that kind of functionality, um, whatever solution they use. There, there's a lot of uh, there are a lot of use cases out there where you need. Um, yeah, different languages in your application. Because there are a lot of people out there who just don't understand German or maybe even English, right? Um, so, yeah. I, I think that's reasonable enough. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, we, we are in the process of internationalizing our app at work. And, like, it's heavy lifting if you haven't built it, like, internet, like, uh, structured it so that it's international. Like, um, it, and it's a lot of monkey work, too. You're just... It's really, really frustrating uh, uh, when when you're taking something that's just all uh, plain text in English and, and uh, making codes for it, and yeah, it's it's a pain. Like setting up the architecture to make it work, that that's not uh, crazy hard, especially with something like Angular Translate. Uh, but then going through and finding all the places in your app where you're feeding uh, text to the user, like that is painful. Right, right. I, actually, I had exactly the same thing. When I was uh, back in the days when I was in my apprenticeship, um, they had a sort of um, back-end solution for that. So you also had things that are called translation IDs, so the like sort of mes message IDs. And so I was the one who needed to go through all the templates and replace all those uh, texts in, in the templates with translation IDs. And it's not that I had a list of translation IDs that I can use. I, I, I had to come up with all of them myself. So you, it's, it's really a hard process to, to name those things. So you start with things like, I don't know, like form label text or like in, in capital letters and then with underscores, uh, like um, capital underscore, uh, like form label text or form label name text or whatever. So and then at some point, uh, you have a use case where you also have a form label text, but it's a different kind of thing, so you need to come up with another translation ID. And these are very horrible to write and horrible to read, and you have to invent them. And yeah, it was it was very, very, uh, yeah, it was monkey work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's been a bit of a pain, but um, it's going to be great when it's all done. Uh, and big thanks to Angular Translate. So one question that I, I thought of um, while uh, Chirayu was talking was, um, how do you? What's a good way to detect, um, or, or how, how do you handle user preferences um, for their um, uh, their language preferences? How do you know what language to serve to them? Oh, so Angular um, Translate already comes with a lot of support for this, and the way I look at it personally is that it's a bunch of uh, it's sort of orthogonal to the other process of internationalization, internationalizing your application. So this is the thing to say: How do I figure out what currency format I want to use, or what locale I want to use, right? And there's a lot, there's a lot of support that needs to happen once you know what locale it is. But figuring out the locale is sort of um, custom. You, you, like, we want to have like default solutions, and Angular Translate has default solutions. 
That's probably to be like Synaptera. But the idea is you could use GeoIP, you could use something else. But if I'm a login user, if I'm a Gmail user of the US and I travel to Germany, I log into Gmail. Once I'm logged in, I don't want to see German because it, it should already know who I am. So if, if it has to pull the locale out of the user preferences object, then something in the database has to record. Like so if Gmail doesn't record the fact that I'm English speaking, then it's going to use GeoIP or something else, right? So that, that's key. You'll have a few out of the box, but at the same time, the application has to configure the service or something and say, I want to override this now or not, or is he logged in or not logged in? So there's a few strategies there. Like GeoIP is one of them, but logged in or not is one. If you have custom domains, and it depends on the service. Some of them switch away, some of them do. If you go to google.jp versus google.com, you get, like, by default, you cannot log in. You're going to get the, the thing based upon that domain. Uh, sometimes people redirect. So if you go to google.com in Japan, it will redirect you to google.jp. But if you go to google.fr or something, it's probably not going to redirect. It's going to assume you meant .fr. And that's a Google-specific rule, right? So it will be like a company or application-specific rule. Because .com is considered like the uh, take me to the right thing domain, but .fr isn't. If you went to .fr, you really meant to see that kind of thing. And those are heuristics. And that's kind of in the realm of the application you can figure. You, you have defaults, but you, you had a pick. No, that's right. very interesting. Yeah, so so um, that's also how I think about it. So in there, there are some way to um, find out what locale um, your user has, but it's a bit unreliable. For, for example, you can use um, there are some properties on, on on the browser object, on the window object, in, in the in the browser uh, browser something like um, window.navigator. Something um, where you can find out uh, what is the current locale of, of the browser that your user has, but they're implemented differently across browsers, so this is something uh, that you can't always use. Um, so I think in the end it always boils down to something like you somehow decide what what the preferred language of your application is, so you just configure it sort of hard-coded, um, but at some point you might want to override it, for example, with uh, with a user setting or something, so that if you have an if you have an application where your where a user can log in or something, there might be a setting where you can actually configure. Okay, so I want to use this language or that language, and that's something that you store somewhere, either in local storage or maybe somewhere on the backend side in a in a database or whatever. And uh, <clears throat> so your application should should then be able to to read that stuff and then set the locale accordingly. Awesome. Yeah, I, uh, I actually, that was sort of a selfish question because I'm working on so, uh, solving this for my app right now. Uh, so got some, some good ideas I'm thinking about. Right, uh, the thing that I landed on was uh, I, I uh, discovered that that navigator property is um, totally unreliable. Uh, if, like, for example, I changed my... Um, my language preferences in, in Chrome, and then the navigator uh, still showed that I uh, my preferred language is English, even though I set it to French. Uh, and so, like, the, your only recourse really is to make a request, and then have the server send you back um, the accepted language, which you sent to the server in the first place, which is like so weird. Uh, I wish that the browser would just open up an API for that, but. Yeah, it's a little bit. It's a little bit of a challenge, um, I think, but uh, it's it's a challenge worth overcoming. So, right. Uh, uh, on that topic, since you mentioned the the, the Chrome thing, 
what I do know, and it touches on the Google the dot com domain uh, name kind of thing, right? What happens is in the past, everything, well, a large majority of it, not everything, happened to be like English specific. So browsers and a bunch of others tend to think like if you pick U.S. English as your default, it doesn't actually mean U.S. English. It means you don't know what we don't know what who, who you are actually. Because oh really? French, like you really meant French. But since English was the default all the time, we don't know if you were a French person whose browser just defaulted and you never configured it, or if it's really English. So sure. it's the same with the .com domains, which redirect you to country-specific TLDs because they, we don't know. Like that used to be the only domain at some point, and there's a bit of that. Uh, but I also mentioned earlier that like being logged in helped, and you had user preferences. But that's uh, one side of it because you don't always want to have somebody logged in just to get their locale. So if you have a locale selector and you select it, like what Pascal was mentioning, connection like local storage, that's a great thing. Either session storage or local storage, right? Like you store it there, and it's sort of like how on say you go to Google.com or like Bing.com or whatever, and you say, yeah, show me, you know, don't moderate my search results. To pick that flag, you don't have to be locked in. It's kind of right. remembered because using session storage and local storage, and and the the language dropdown should do the same thing. If you modified it in your user preferences, yes, you're updating it forever or like storing the final version. But if you just picked it, until you like you know create your cookies or something, you, you shouldn't have to keep setting it every time you go to the, the web page. Sure. Yeah, that's a good strategy. I think I'm gonna do that. <laughs> um, that yeah, that's helpful. Um, because that's another thing is I, I, I went to uh, Sweden um, and Amsterdam um, and I don't speak Swedish or um, or Dutch and so like it, uh, it's nice to be able to even in those uh, other countries when you detect okay you're in this country you probably speak speak this uh, it's nice to be able to give those overrides and local storage is I think a good solution if you're not having users log in or even if you are like on the login screen you can choose so yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's it's just the overall idea and why why developers should care about this is um, you want to let your users have uh, uh, have their choice on how they consume your content uh, so that they can do so uh, most efficiently, most enjoyably. Um, yeah, it's it's all about caring for about your users. Which yeah, and there's a little bit of a thing uh, anecdote sort of to speak, right? Because. Before I joined Google, like 2006, I worked at a startup which did some social networking stuff. So we only cared about the US market because we were a very small startup. But it turned out that our user base in China was like 20 times the size, or maybe even 100 times the size. We don't know. Like, there were a lot of Chinese users. We wow. just appeared not to care because we didn't understand Chinese. We were not going to monetize it, our, our goals, because we had Series A and Series B. And we were like, you know, we want to exit at some point. That wasn't in our plan. But at the same time, we didn't want to completely abandon them and say, until like this thing hits, like we don't care. So we ended up like having a messages or JSON or something, a file where people could um, take in their own translations for these things, and they could sideload it with a query parameter saying a like, question mark, you know, I forget what we use, like lang file equals or something. And if we did that, like it would just override the UI to some. And, and the thing is, the community kind of maintained it. We did not actually, we didn't know Chinese, and we weren't hiring professional translators. And we were not going to maintain it week to week based on updates, but like the users were happy. Like, they, like you know, eighty percent of it is sort of translated since they already were using it in English. They were happy. So it's it's going with that caring for user, and also if you weren't like the startup or something, right? Like, if you don't know where where your users are going to come from, which may be more popular, more common in Europe, where there's more languages and a similar economy, you don't want to lock yourself into one language or locale. 
like see where your growth is and then go there, right? Maybe. Yeah, that's a uh, yeah, very interesting strategy. Get uh, your users to help because uh, they want to use your stuff and, and they um, people want to help other people. Uh, so that's cool. Cool. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I think that's uh, really good information. So let's get into Angular Translate. And then uh, after, after we talk about what Angular Translate does for Angular developers today, I want to talk about what Angular 1.4 does for developers tomorrow. So um, first, uh, Pascal, do you want to uh, give us a little backstory on what Angular Translate is, where it came from, and what it does? Sure, sure. So it started, um, I think, two and a half years ago or something. Um, when I was working uh, f for a company, um, so it was an agency, and I, I had to build a Angular application, and we used it from pretty much the beginning on. And uh, <clears throat> so I've built this application, and so we needed to bake this application as hybrid app with PhoneGap, so it was not an on online application. And uh, it turned out that this application needed to be baked in two different languages. So we needed a solution to take the existing code base that we have and uh, bake it in two different languages without duplicating the code. So I thought about it, and I said, yeah, OK, I can do it. And so the first thing I did was, so I've built this uh, Angular filter. And it, it's just called the translate filter. And all it does is it, it takes a translation ID, which is just a string, right? And uh, so it takes a string, and then it looks this string up in a translation table, which you've configured before with a translate provider. And all it does is it, it, it replaces the, the translation ID with a concrete translation. So actually, there's no real replacing going on there, like, like a real replacement. It's just like, give me the translation ID. I look it up somewhere, and I give you the actual string. Boom, that's it. And that was all it was. And I called it Angie Translate, <laughs> and I put it up on G+, and I posted it, and I said, hey, guys, so uh, this is the thing that, I just, that I've just built, and maybe it's, maybe it's useful to you, maybe not, I don't know, but you can just use it right away. And, and then, uh, yeah, people, people checked it out, and they gave me feedback. They said, yeah, that's awesome. So you, you, now, you, you can now use translation IDs and, and you get like real translations, but there was no way to change a language at runtime or anything. So this was just one language per build. You, all you got out of it is you have a template with those filter uh, calls, and then you can bake this application with your templates with one specific language. And then you can do it with different languages, but you cannot change the language at runtime. So you, 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 should, yeah, you need to decide that at, at build time, more or less, which was the problem that I needed to solve, and, and that was my solution. So, um, And yeah, it, it didn't take so long. So, so people came up with ideas, and they said, hey, wouldn't it be actually nice if there's a way to change the language at runtime so that it's really a translation thing? Because currently, there's just only one language. And I said, yeah, sure, let's do it. I mean, I definitely want to do it. I just I haven't implemented it yet. And so there were ideas coming up. And then I've very quickly implemented uh, like a way to um, register more than one translation table. And then you could decide which language you want to use at runtime. And then you could change the language at runtime and everything. And I was constantly pushing updates to G plus and Twitter and uh, <clears throat> so that um, I, I was like releasing every two days or something, like a new version. And 
And at some point, and I, I really I can remember this one, uh, there was an issue popping up. It was uh, issue number four, I guess it was. You can check it out right now. And there's a country which is so there was a contributor. His uh, GitHub handle is Kennelly. Um Big shout-outs to him, by the way, because currently he's a core member of the Angular Translate team. So he opened up this issue and he was like, "Hey." Uh, so cool. We have those. We have this filter now. We we can now change the language at runtime, which is awesome. But wouldn't it be nice if we can load translation tables at runtime asynchronously? And I said, Yeah, that's awesome. I want to do that. Let's let's discuss on that. So we had this issue with like I don't know, like so many like this many big discussions with big comments on there with ideas how we can do it and we needed we still needed to learn and understand the provider and service thing in angular so you can check out that issue it was a big milestone in angular translate and once that was implemented it was actually it was a sort of killer feature so um you were you were able to uh, provide your application with translation tables. You could uh, change the language at runtime, and you you could even load translation tables uh, laz uh, lazily. Yeah, so um, that was that thing, right? And uh, yeah, and then it it got bigger and bigger and bigger. There were a lot of users using it. Um, I, I was invited to a meetup in in uh, in Amsterdam by Carmen, uh, who also organized the NGNL conference. Um, and she invited me to to speak there about that project, so it got more attention. And again, I was constantly pushing on G plus and Twitter with new releases and everything. And so there were a lot of early adopters, and a lot of contributions. So there are so many features. You can you can check out the website. the The documentation is actually available, I think, in seven or eight different languages. Um, awesome. It is awesome, and and I haven't done that myself, right? So there were like a ton of contributions, and um, so whatever. When you take a look at Angular Translate right now, as it is, it's it's pretty much uh, filled with ideas that do not came from my mind. So there were like so many people that said, "Hey, wouldn't it be nice if we could do this? And wouldn't it be nice if we could do that?" and that was my first real experience with um, working on a open source project and getting all that input from other people because there were so many ideas that came up and that was just awesome. So now Angular Translate is that big thing that is used by a lot of people, also by a lot of big companies. I'm, I'm very happy that it's like that and I'm, I'm even more happy about it that there are so many contributors um, that help out. I have a team that is working on that. In fact, the last few months, I haven't done any releases. They were all, all uh, done by the team. So um, it's cool, right? You have a community behind it, um, people who work on that. And I still, th there are still people that, that come to me and thank me for the nice module, which, which is awesome. But yeah, I just wanted to make sure that, uh, just to make clear, Angular Translate is not a project that, this is, that is just done by me. There are actually a lot of people behind it working on that. And uh, yeah, so that's that's pretty much the storage, uh, the, the the story of, of Angular Translate. Nice history, thank you. Um, that I, I'm actually looking at that uh, issue number four, and it's just <laughs> chock full of like these different ideas. Like, oh, maybe we should do this. Oh, no, that like wouldn't work as this or whatever. Like, oh, cool example. Uh, yeah, it's kind of fun to see those. Um, those discussions, um, uh, and I, I think GitHub uh, makes that really 
easy and open, and I think that's that's a good thing. So anybody who's interested in contributing, obviously Pascal is very interested in um, um, helping people contribute and and uh, be involved in the project. Right, and, and that actually in general. So w whenever you want to contribute to something, just do it. So it doesn't have to be Angular Translate. Pick a project and, and contribute. Yeah. Uh, I, I get a couple of first-time contributors on Angular formally, and, and they get so excited when, uh, like, this is my first pull request, and I got merged. Like, that's so cool. I, I, I had the same at Angular Translate. So there was one contributor um, from um, Ukraine, and he was like, you know, Pascal, so you kind of contacted me via email or something, and he was like, you know, I do want to build this thing for Angular Translate, this kind of loader extension, but I'm... I really don't know how Angular works, and I have no experience with with uh, Git or GitHub. So I said, "All right, that's pretty much an invitation. So I will help you making your first pull request." And now he's a core contributor to the project. So it's cool um, when you enable people contributing. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Just awesome. to add to that, I think like though Pascal says you should contribute to any open source project, which is really great. But if you were picking one and you were interested in Angular Translate, go for it. Because like you said, you don't know Git. Like, he's like the friendliest guy. He like, hook you up, help you do whatever. <laughs> and you can then end up being the core contributor, like in that example. So. That's right. You, you don't, the, there was this nice talk uh, at NGConf, um, we don't need no stinking batches. So yeah. you don't need permission to be awesome. Um, just, just do something. Um, get in touch and yeah. Ah, that's great. Um, so I, I did have a couple of questions about Angular Translate and, and maybe um, I18N in general. Uh, so mm -hmm. um, so it, this takes a little bit of knowledge of, of how Angular Translate works, but, but basically, yeah, maybe maybe you could give us a little bit of a, a backstory of, of how, or maybe not backstory, but like a, a short rundown of how Angular Translate works um, and like the, the different ways that you can load translations and, and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Okay, sure. So actually, it's it's super simple. So um, Angular Translate is, in the end, nothing more than just a uh, sort of um, in-memory JSON storage. So what you do is you take the translate provider, and you have very simple methods, and you, you call those methods, and you use them to um, save translation tables. And a translation table is nothing more than a JSON or, or just a JavaScript object that has translation IDs, which are the keys, and you have translations, which are the values. So uh, in your code, you would say something like in, in your config phase, translate provider dot translations as method, and then you just pass in an object, and you also uh, specify a language key or your locale key. It, it's just a string, but you would use something like DE or EN for whatever language you use. So that you do with your languages. You just register your translation tables. You can do that statically. And so let's say you make that for, for two, two translation tables, DE and EN. And then uh, in your templates, you can use the translate directive, for example, so as an attribute. And then you can say, um, I don't know, let's say you have a span element, and then you have a translate attribute, and you pass in a uh, translation ID as value. And what Angular Translate does is it, it takes this tra translation ID and looks it up in the table. So it's pretty much a hash map. So you just get the translation of that particular translation ID. That's it. And then it lands in your DOM. You can also use uh, a filter for that if you if you if you prefer that, and um, so this is the 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 very um, yeah the, the short version. And um, if you do want to change the language, 
what I do in Angular Translate is I basically use the binding system of Angular. So whenever, uh, I mean, you just need to think about when and what kind of situations uh, is it possible that the language actually changes. It usually happens through user interaction, right? When, when the user says, all right, I changed the language from A to B. So, and what Angular does is when we have user interaction, so when we have events that are fired, for example, there's a digest cycle that is triggered. So all I need to do is um, when somebody says, I want to change the language from uh, German to English, for example, there's a, me uh, a method on a translate service that you can inject. So you, you, all you could do is, all you to do is uh, you just say something like $translate.use, and then you give it a, uh, a translation table key, a language key, which you've used for the registration. And uh, that you just call during a uh, ng-click handler or whatever. And then the digest cycle is triggered. And then it would re-evaluate all the directives and the filters that you use, and uh, which then, in course, turns Angular Translate to look up the translation ID in the translation table again, but this time with the new uh, language that you've chosen before. So it's just that. It's really just that. And the lazy loading is just a very, very simple uh, extension. So. If you change your language to uh, if, if you change the language to a translation table that doesn't exist yet in your local in, in your uh, memory uh, yet, so if if you haven't registered that before, what Angular Translate does is um, it 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 uses a a loader a, a synchronous loader that you can uh, configure, and so if you say I change my language to English, then it says okay, all right. I look it up in the English translation table. Oh wait, there is no English translation table yet. So I use that loader and and load that translation table. So in the loader is basically nothing more than a Ajax request. That's just it. And uh, you can specify what the endpoint of that loader is, and then you can say all right. So if there is a translation table that is requested but not there yet, then please uh, make an Ajax call and get it from there. And what you get back is a JSON, and then that one is stored. So it's pretty much the same thing that you do statically, but with, a, with an AJAX call. And then that one is used, which in turn means it's asynchronous, so I've used promises for that, and that makes everything asynchronous. Um, but yeah, that's basically how it works. And um, everything else on, on features that you have in Angular Translate are just yeah, like ex like little extensions that sit on top of that. For example, um, you can define fallback languages. Um, so if you um, if you translate your application and Angular Translate tries to look up a translation ID that does not exist in your current uh, uh, translation table, then it would fall back to another translation table and looks it up there. So there are like a tons of options, and in fact, you're not restricted to use. Uh, just uh, those kind of loaders and 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 uh, error handlers and whatever you can do there, um, you can build your own custom loaders. You can build your own custom storages and error handlers and everything. So there are like streamlined AP APIs. Um, we give you tools and extensions that you can optionally install. So you don't get loaders, for example, by default. You have to install them explicitly and extend the framework. Um, but you also have APIs to build your own custom things in case the stuff that we provide you don't fit your needs. Uh, I think that's uh, the mark of a, a well-thought-through library is one that uh, builds hooks uh, into being able to manipulate how it's used and then um, dog foods and uses those own hooks to uh, cover the, the um, common use cases. Yeah, uh, right. So, yeah, that's, that's awesome. Uh, 
So how do you, um, you talked a little bit, one of my questions was about modularity and, and how do you uh, scale a, a big application. I think you kind of um, answered that with the asynchronous uh, loading. Uh, do, you, do you have any other uh, comments on, on modularity? Because like, I, I think uh, the common, common case is uh, somebody will have an i18n folder and they'll put en.json and an es.json and fr.json, whatever. And then you just say, load these asynchronously. And, and that works really well unless your application gets to be 150,000 lines of code. And, and right. that leads to a lot of translations you need. So is, is how do you um, split that up so that the translations scale with the application? Right. So um, of course, first, that, that, um, uh, that depends on your application, right? So if it gets bigger, um, so I think you can really first start with, with something like that. So you just have a folder, IT-N, where you put in some JSONs for, for each language. But in fact, it's right. You have a use case where it turns out that your application gets bigger and you do not want to load all translation data for the English language, um, where, for example, 80% of those translations are not actually used in the application because the user only comes across two submodules instead of the instead of 10 or whatever. Or because so, it's such a big file that when we go to change something, we forget to remove it because it's just like... Yeah, yeah right, right. So um, we, we, we came across that problem as well, or rather the community came across that problem, so we responded to that. In fact, that is the feature that was implemented by, the, by Max from, from the Ukraine, who haven't done anything with Git and GitHub before. A uh, big shout-out to him as well. Um, he implemented the partial loader, so you were able to define um, like a module-based uh, pattern for your application so that you can say, hey, um, please load the translation for the English language, but only for module X. And when the user comes across uh, module uh, Y, then load those translations. So um, it might make sense uh, also to, to structure your translations like that, that you have um, uh, translation files per language per module. But it, it really depends on your particular use case. Um, I, I personally like it to have um, so things that belong together, like, like modules. Uh, we do the same with controllers and services and directives that belong together. We, we put them in one module, and they're one feature, one package. Maybe we, we should also put all those translations that, that belong to that package in there. It might make sense. It depends on your particular use case. But I think that's the way to go then. You can partially load additional translations at runtime then. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually what, what I've done. So because I use Webpack, uh, I can, uh, I don't have to worry about like uh, partial loading or anything, and, and it actually just gets loaded at build time. Um, mm. And then eventually I'll, I'll uh, finally be able to look into Olivier's uh, OC lazy load to um, load those things lazily uh, after uh, like each, uh, as a part of each module. And it, it's actually pretty cool. One day, maybe I should open source uh, what I've done. Um, yeah, you should do it. Yeah, it's a good idea. Because, um, yeah, I, I think uh, scaling a, a big application, anything like more than 15,000 lines of code, you got to start thinking about scaling it um, and, and modularizing things uh, if you plan on it uh, going anywhere and growing. And translations are no different. So it's cool that you guys have an answer for that now. Um, and uh, so, um, so pluralization and uh, gender. What what is your answer to that? Message format. <laughs> so um, 
for pluralization in gender, there, there's already a standard out there, which is called ICU message format. And uh, it has a very, very big user base. They're already, so it's a, uh, actually, it's a sort of programming independent solution. So it's a sort of specification. And there are implementations for different languages. So for example, there is a project out there called Message Format JS, which is a JavaScript implementation for the message format syntax. And um, it basically it solves all the uh, problems and 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 uh, possibilities that that you can come across when it comes to pluralization and gender selection, and also nested things and, and everything. Um, so Angular Translate uh, does nothing more than it it allows you to plug message format JS uh, into the internationalization process of Angular Translate. Uh, Angular Translate. So. What you can do, you can say, all right, um, I do have cases where I need pluralization, so I can add a interpolation adapter for message format JS. And then you can load message format JS as you would just normally do. Uh, you would uh, tell Angular Translate, hey, listen, please use that particular um, interpolation adapter. And then you can use message format. The thing why you need to specify the uh, interpolation adapter is because so message format uh, is its own specification. It comes with its own language, uh, like like its own syntax. So the interpolation process is a bit different. So we know interpolations from Angular. We know the double curlies that we can use, and we can use filters in them. Um, when you use something like a message format JS, you use uh, use single curlies and um, there are no filters, so you don't have any Angular-specific functionality inside message format uh, uh, syntax. Um, so that means you basically you would lose all the stuff that you actually get from Angular uh, in that case. And that's why um, I changed, or actually I extended the solution a little bit, that you can say, all right, um, please use that particular interpolation uh, system as default. But in that case, where you have, for example, a DOM element that uses uh, um, pluralization, there you can override the default uh, interpolation system. So you would, you would de decide on a DOM level, uh, this particular translation ID needs to use message format interpolation. Uh, you can read that up in the docs. But well, so the, in the end, it's just important to know that we did not reinvent the wheel. We used something that is already out there, and we just took the power from message format and put them, put it into into Angular Translate um, with a minimal amount of effort, basically. Um, yeah, and and actually, this is something that that will be built right into the core in Angular 1.4, and I, I think uh, Shirai, you can uh, tell something about it. Uh, yeah, that yeah. was going to be my next question. So perfect segue into um, I18N with Angular 1.4. So do you want to uh, take that away, uh, Shiragi? Yeah, sure. Uh, so exactly what Pascal was saying, right? So one of the things is uh, the ability to do uh, uh, pluralization and gender stuff um, and have that work with internationalization. Angular has had a bunch of other solutions, like ng-pluralize and whatnot. Um, they have their own limitations. Uh, you can't use ng-pluralize inside an attribute, for instance. But also, it's it's a custom solution, right? Um, it's not just standard. And so Angular Translate already uses message format. But then you had a disconnect in the sense that you had to pick your interpolation provider. And it's not a fault of Angular Translate. It's just that Angular has its own incompatible interpolation syntax. I mean, incompatible in the sense these two things are born separately. 
Let's just format had no idea of angular interpolation, angular interpolation had no idea of message format. So you can't like mix and match that. So for 1.4, one of the things we did was like look at it and say, we want to have a first class pluralization support. And we also don't want it to be, we don't want to break existing Angular applications, right? So if you loaded uh, an existing Angular template, in a new version, we suddenly should not be interpreting certain symbols a different way. Right? Like if it was valid before, it should continue to be valid later as well. Like we, we shouldn't change anything. So what we've done is we've kind of, so you, like I said, they're incompatible sentences, so you can't use them exactly the way they are. But we've extended the regular interpolation to support message format like syntax. So it's almost the same. In the, the escape character is a backslash instead of a single quote. And instead of using single curlies for interpolation inside the message format messages, we use double curlies. I think that's pretty much it. Otherwise, it's more or less the same thing. And with that, message format becomes like a core-supported a core interpolation syntax. It's just in there. It's a separate module in Angular 1.4, so you had to include, I think it's ng-messageformat.js or something. Mm -hmm. But if you include that in your top-level application module, it depends on ng-messageformat and its dependencies along with ng, right? ng, I guess, is default. Um, then wherever you're using interpolation, it automatically supports message format. And um, the, the, by message format, I mean it's a subset of message format, the stuff for plurals and gender. The, the, the key about this is in message format, anytime all the syntax that message format supports, the way it works is you have a variable like gender, user, gender, user, name, something, right? But then you have a comma after that, and you write like plural or select or whatever else it is. Now, this top level comma would have been invalid in regular uh, angular parsing. So that's how the compatibility is maintained. In the sense, we saw the comma, we are like, OK, so you're parsing message format. And I can give you errors or not, and like give it back. But if you didn't use the comma, then it's not message format. So there is no way that we're going to take an existing angular application which worked correctly and misinterpret it. If it was already broken because it had a comma, so dollar parse is going to throw an error, then we might do something else. and it, suddenly becomes valid, perhaps, if we had managed to type exactly message format. But that's kind of rare case. Yeah, totally. Top-level citizen, yeah. Yeah, you shouldn't be relying on bugs. Don't rely on bugs. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. But, but it had to, uh, this has to be like an assortment bug where the bug like looks really like message format. It was just kind of hard to do. But yeah, so it's, it's, so it's kind of well thought out for that to make sure it just seamlessly works. And the advantage of this is not only can you use this in attributes or anywhere interpolation works, but because it's a declarative syntax, uh, and we understand it, and message format has a whole nesting and everything, um, we can statically analyze or statically extract these messages. If something like ng-pluralize, or uh, if you're using ng-switch for gender, you can sort of try to statically extract these things for translation to send to a translator, but you can't be sure that it is really a gender expression or something else. Because ng-switch is generic. You could have an and condition where you mix gender and something else, like age greater than 18 at the same time, all males greater than the age of 18. You, you could write an ng-switch like that, and there's no way we're going to extract something sensible for this class data. But if you're using message format, now you have to like structure it so that the, the gender test is separate from the age test. And we can extract just the, the gender part and send it in a translation file. And I should also point out that while message format is uh, an ICU standard, 
it's not like a global standard. So one of the, the things is, how do you do translations for things which don't support ICU message format? And this is an interesting problem, because some file formats, like if you look at GetTextPO, it cannot do plurals. Like, it just doesn't exist. So then you're looking at how do translation companies do translations where plurals are involved? And, you know, there's it's a data-dependent plural. Like, you don't know in advance it was a male or a female. Like, it has to be selected upon by some data. And uh, really, the best solution that that we know of, like, is message format. That's why Pascal has it in Angular Translate, and that's why it's part of the Angular 1.4's uh, interpolation syntax. But, like, if we extract it into a file format, I know XMB and XTB support it because it's the ICU standard. But if you pick, like, get text or something else like that and you were trying to extract it in the command line tools, which will come later, we would throw an error and say, hey, like, does your translator understand this syntax? Like, we can extract it, but, you know, they're not going to know how to deal with it. And so one of the things is to hope push adoption of uh, a standard pluralization of gender syntax. It doesn't have to be message format. It's just the one we have right now, which has some support at least. So, like, you know, like to help adoption of some common syntax. Yeah. Cool. I, I use message format, and I love it. It's, uh, yeah, very good. Uh, and it's exciting to see uh, Angular um, thinking more about uh, internationalization uh, built in. I, I think that's uh, very cool. So now, uh, Pascal, at the end of your guys' talk, um, you posted some slides on uh, what's going to happen to Angular Translate. <laughs> so when, when I looked at those slides, uh, I missed the last slide. I didn't see the last slide, so I thought that Igor was just being like a big jerk to you or something. <laughs> I can stop doing this. So can you e explain to our viewers who may not have seen that what that that was all about? Uh, yeah, sure. So um, right. So the idea behind that little tiny slide deck is just to um, actually introduce the whole story, like how that all started. That that we are working on something real for Angular and like, when it comes to internationalization. And it was just that, I, so I met Igor uh, last year at NG Europe, the very first time in person. And um, so, so he came to me and, I mean, we, we knew each other already, but he came to me and he said, yeah, so why are, you, why are you doing this? And I was like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? And he was like, yeah, you know, this Angular Translate thing. And I was like, why? And he was like, yeah, you know, we were, we were thinking about that too at, at Google, you know, like building something and like something for internationalization, using bindings and everything, but for performance reasons, we, we said, no, that's, that's not a good idea. So, so and, uh, um, so, and then all of a sudden, there's this Pascal coming up and building Angular Translate, and everybody uses it. That, that's shitty. <laughs> so could you please stop doing it? So, <laughs> but it was more like a fun thing, right? So it was not that he was being a jerk or anything. It was more like a fun thing. And I told him, well, yeah, right, sure. I will just shut down the project on GitHub, and you'll see how you can handle the fan club. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so that was it. Um, it was a, like a like a sort of key moment that I saved to my brain. Um, so I put it up on the slide deck. It's more actually more a funny joke, and that's why you definitely should check out the last slide on the <laughs> slide deck. Um, yeah, and maybe we can share that link to the slide deck later, because sure. the yeah, put it in the show notes. Yeah, right. Um, so, so just that everybody knows, Igor is not a jerk. He was actually the one who uh, started that stuff and who, who came to me and wanted to talk to me about that stuff to, to make something really good. 
Uh, so yeah, kudos to that. So that uh, um, Igor, Anglo Translate is not going anywhere. Right, right. Yeah, that's the, that's the key. Yeah, let's let's clear that now. Angular translates here to say so. What because there's so much good coming in Angular 1.4 for internationalization. What does um, like what value do I get out of Angular Translate that I don't get out of the core? Um, okay. Yeah. So so um, it it again depends on your use case. Whereas Angular Translate is a fully client side solution because that was my personal problem back in the days. It is really just for client side. The solution that comes to Angular 1.4 basically also works on the server side. So we give you tools to, to extract all the messages from your application uh, so that you can generate new templates with new locales. But you can also use a client side solution, which will be baked right into Angular, where you have a dynamic uh, translation that is happening in a pre-compiled step. So, um, if you're currently using Angular Translate in your project and you're happy with it and you don't have any performance problems or anything, you can just stick with it. It's fine. But um, if you uh, have a lot of translations and you have a real translator working on your translations, you want to be able to write your templates in just pure text without inventing something like translation IDs. And if you want to have first-class support by the actual Angular project, then I would consider uh, migrating to the solution that we're building for it. Because the nice thing about the new solution that comes to the core is that it's, uh, it's a solution that lets you, so you're able to incrementally add that stuff to your um, existing application. So even if you use Angular Translate right now, you can start uh, partially adding uh, like the, the new solution to it. Because all you need to do is you just can, you can just replace translation IDs again with concrete text, and those are the messages that get extracted. Uh, that doesn't mean that Angular Translate doesn't work anymore. It still works. So that's the nice thing about it. Um, it depends on your use case in the end. Uh, if, the, if the solution for 1.4 is stable, I would, I would, in most cases, prefer it, I guess. But it depends. Mm -hmm. Cool. Because, yeah. um, so, sure. so, so everything that Pascal said, Basically, right, and and the last part where it says um, once it's stable, right, and here's the part like the Angular 1.4 support, like message format is a core part of the uh, of Angular, so it's shipping with it. But the the dynamic client side only version is probably not going to be in 1.4; it'll probably be in 1.5. So the server side version will probably be working with 1.4 because the development for that happens in parallel. It won't be tied to 1.4. The command line, they have their own life cycle. But until they're all stable and hit their 1.0, Angular Translate, I would think, is still like what you should be using for production. And once we can say, yeah, this is a, the, the full end-to-end -end solution for this is ready and working, which would probably be Angular 1.5. At that point, you can like you know take do your hello world and all this stuff. And say, yeah, this works for me. I can I, I like all this stuff I have. And, uh, yeah. Right. And and there there are actually still some features that probably won't land into into the solution that Angular 1.4 will support. Um, for example, things like fallback languages. I don't think there is any consideration on that currently because uh, again, the solution that comes to Angular 1.4 is is not really a 100% client-side solution. So even if you change the language at runtime, you don't really change it at runtime. When you change the language on the client side, um, you will you will always uh, cause a page reload, which you don't have in Angular Translate. 
So if you do not want to have this page reload for whatever reason, uh, I needed it back in the days, then you want to stick with Angular Translate. And also, yeah, things like uh, uh, um, locale negotiation and uh, um, fallback languages and everything. So those are things that maybe don't even make sense in, in that particular solution for the Angular 1.4 release. Yeah, okay. uh, that's yeah. It. Uh, I just wanted to uh, touch on that a little bit more to say that in the new solution, something that will always be the case and be different from Angular Translate probably is that application, it's either a reload or a reinitialization. You don't have reload. Mm -hmm. The top level app components will all be like the scopes that we just started recreated. And part of this is because um, there's two ways to do it, right? If you do not want to destroy anything, then you have to keep track of all the dependencies that have changed, all the messages, all the functions, closures, everything, that when I look at changes, you had to go fix them all up. But this adds extra memory pressure and like makes, like you have the equivalent of Angular watches. You can try and make them efficient, but there's still overhead. But the overhead is there only for the time when you do switch lookouts. And when we think about it, it seems that most of the time if you're switching locales, it's you didn't understand what was there in the first place. I mean, there, there are limited use cases for when you want to switch it on the fly and you understand both languages or something. But often it isn't the case. So the, the memory overhead and the runtime overhead of keeping track of it seems not to be worth it. So the Angular 1.4 um, and future solution basically reinitializes your application, or top-level component, whichever that one is, uh, when you switch uh, lookouts. So, so some cases are, you know, when someone says, well, I started filling out this form, and then I realized I need to switch languages, but I'm going to lose my data. So there are cases like that, and I'm not really convinced that's a really strong use case. It is a use case, and you should use Angular Translate for those things. The, the, the thing is, if you were able to fill out half the form, you understand enough to like save a draft with a form. And if the application doesn't support saving an intermediate state or doesn't auto-save or anything, then it doesn't even matter whether you're internationalized. You have bigger problems. The small network connectivity could just kill everything you typed. So uh, I think like the usual problems that are put up for this tend to have other problems as well. Like there's a, there are ways of solving it which will make it not be an issue if you reload. But as my take on it, if there's any specific things that really really bother people, like you should let us vote now. Um, I, I think that. Uh... Uh, I'm I'm excited about what's coming, um, and I, I wish that we had a little bit more time because I, I kind of wanted to touch on uh, whether there's a solution or whether there's any thoughts on a solution for Angular 2. But uh, we just I don't think that we have time uh, to cover that. So um, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, we have time. It's a one-liner. Uh, so the answer is yes. It's going to yeah. be one solution for all <laughs> the Angulars: Angular 1, JS, Dart, and Angular 2, JS, and Dart. The command line tools are being written in their own separate repository. And no reason included. Like, yeah. Oh, great. Hey, we had time. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> OK, so we, uh, we're going to wrap this up. We have a, uh, just a couple of questions, and then we'll ask our, our new developer tips. So um, at first, um, actually, both of these are from Olivier Kuhn. He's, probably like show's biggest fan, or, or at least he's the biggest uh, question asker. It's really good questions. Um, so the first question is, uh, why do you think that Angular Translate is a semi-official demo library for talks at conferences? This is stroking your ego a little bit. 
Oh, I think I, I didn't really get that question. Can you repeat that? Yeah, so why do you think that Angular Translate is a semi-official demo library for toxic conferences? What are toxic conferences? I don't know. Maybe there are some toxic conferences you don't know about, but, um, but I, I think... Um, uh, may, yeah, maybe I don't totally uh, understand this either, but like what, uh, at NGNL, for example, um, yeah. you had like everybody mentioned uh, Angular Translate in their talk. Oh, um, right, right, yeah. So yeah. Why, why do you think it's so like everybody knows what Angular Translate is? Uh, I mean, you kind of covered this at the beginning, but how did it get to be so uh, popular, I guess? Okay, um, so first I think your microphone is just broken because it was making weird sounds. Um, but maybe. Sorry. Yeah, it's weird. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, I think it was nice that that people were mentioning it at, at the NGNL conference. I'm happy that that there's this adoption. Um, I'm not sure if it's a semi semi demo thing. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's just nice. <laughs> cool. Okay, you can. How's my mic? Is that better? Yeah, that's perfect. Thank you very okay. much. Um, yeah, Olivia, you can reach out to Pascal if, if we didn't catch your... Yeah, please ping me on, on Twitter. I, I think I just didn't get the question right. Uh, okay, um, so this is an interesting question. Uh, do you know of any good tools that extract strings uh, to translate from your code? So, like, in, in my HTML, is there uh, a tool that um, will look for strings in my HTML that says, hey, you need to translate this? Is that particular for Angular Translate or for the, for the 1.4 solution? We, we can, uh, I think we can answer answer both. So there are grunt tasks for Angular Translate specifically. So uh, under the uh, Angular Translate organization on GitHub, so github.com slash Angular Translate, there's a, I think, grunt Angular Translate uh, project, and it's a grunt plugin which extracts all the translation IDs from the templates in order to match them with existing translation tables so that you can find out if they're missing translations or not. Um, and yeah, uh, I, th I think Shirayu can say something about the extraction tool uh, for the 1.4 solution. Oh sure, yeah. So so for 1.4, that's uh, it is a it's a part of the design. In the sense, right. for 1.4, what we said like, like what was saying, the incremental, right? So you just write HTML. You don't even know that you wanted to internationalize it, and then you realize, oh, I want to internationalize it. So, so uh, an example which. This is thanks to Igor, actually, because he pointed that out. Uh, so it's now become a canonical example in Pascal, like we talked about it. It's like you have input placeholder equals, you know, enter your name here. Now, placeholder equals enter your name here, that, that part clearly has to be translated. But you don't even have to tell us about it. And we don't need, you don't need to tell the translator this is the placeholder of input tag, because you can infer all that stuff. And so the extraction pipeline automatically does that. The prototype we have actually does that right now, where it says, Oh, here's an input. It's, it's a placeholder. You know, you, you can extract it this way, and it's actually pluggable because you, you, it's not going to be hard coded. It's going to ship with HTML5 definitions, but you can also add your own definitions, saying, "Hey, I have all these directives. Anytime you have this attribute, you know, this needs to be extracted. That shouldn't." You can have rules like that. You you can override all these, like the design doc basically calls out how on every node you can say this attribute is this, this attribute is that, whatnot. But without having to type all the stuff, that's there. And the solution really depends upon extracting messages from HTML. Now, it won't extract messages from JavaScript or anything, but the solution is specifically for HTML. So in all your Angular uh, templates, if there's anything that needed to be translated, the idea is that the tool will figure it out. 
and extract it, or give you a warning if you did something wrong there, or did not mark it up, or did not give enough context and stuff. Cool. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Great. Uh, that's our questions. Uh, then we just have one last question, and then I have one other thing that I want to uh, say before we uh, depart. So, the question is, what tip would you give a brand new developer? So we'll start with uh, Pascal. Do you have a, a tip? Yeah. Um, so I think um, as a developer, there's one book that you need to read, which is um, called The Pragmatic Programmer. It's written by Uncle Bob. And it's, it's very old, but it's full of good stuff. And when you read it today, the stuff that is written down there still applies to the world of today. And um, it makes you a better developer. It makes you write tests. It makes you write good code and, and everything. So you should read that one. And also, another thing, um, please don't think that people that build cool stuff are unreachable. Just, just be part of the thing. Whenever you want to do something, whenever you want to build something, or whenever you want to contribute to something, just do it. Reach out to the people, ask them how you can help, ask them if the idea that you have is an idea that, that they might, uh, that they want to consider or not, and uh, just don't hesitate to just be part of it. There's nothing special about people that, that build things like Angular Translate or Angular Formly or Angular Lazy Load or whatever. You are like a human like everybody else. Yeah, that's what I want to say. Awesome tips. Thanks. Uh, Chirayu. Uh, tips. I, I'm not sure I can think of any. Like, as a beginning developer, right? Like, I look back on when I was a beginning developer, but that was like 20 years ago. Like, I was a little kid, right? But I think, in general, a part of it is to say, um, don't get too hung up on like the, the the real software engineering philosophies and stuff. Like, I mean, code style or something else, right? Like, those will come later. If you're just really beginning and you don't have anything. Just, just go explore. Like, I want to try that. I believe you can do that. It doesn't matter how that happens. You want to hook up like an Android debugger to something and do then an Arduino or something. Hook it up, right? Okay, maybe there's a little hardware, but it's the same thing with software. Hook it up. Write your own command line utilities. It'll suck, but now you learn black parsing or you learn something. you learn all these nuances. You like have this amazing tool set over time, and you'll start then noticing on your own without somebody telling you. Structure your code this way. You're like. Oh yeah, I can totally see the benefit. My code looks like mess right now or something. But it doesn't matter. Like that's how you write it. Like I was telling Pascal, like my remarks or whatever, like it's like insanely long. But it's like copy pasted and so it's like it's like a mess. It does its stuff though, and then you learn a lot during that process. And you can like even the best software projects like I worked on, we rewrite it later or like there's a second version of it, there's a third version just because the first version sucked. So never let that be like getting in your way, but just go try things out and. These days, it's so easy to go try things out. Like, so many resources, like Pascal was saying, just reach for help. IRC or like ping somebody on Twitter or something. And with GitHub, it's amazing. Just clone a repository. They won't let us stop you. Like, try it out. There's probably some, someone out there who's also like learning it and experiencing the same problems. And you can get in touch with them. Great. Uh, and my tip uh, for the week is uh, to be nice. Um, I, I think that uh, it's, and, and normally, um, oh, my lights went out again. One second. <laughs> okay. Normally, my uh, uh, I, I found that newcomers are, are generally very nice, but I, I think it's just really important uh, for you to um, like when when you ask people for help. Um, it's just important to be understanding that, that lots of the time they're helping you uh, during their personal time. Um, but don't 
let that uh, scare you from asking for for help because people want to help, um, and and if they don't, somebody else will. Um, and so yeah, just uh, be kind, and we're all trying to uh, just live life and and do the best that we can. So, especially in the Angular community, I guess. Yeah, I found found Angular guys are super and and gals are super awesome. So. Yeah. Okay, so I have one other last thing that I uh, would like to do before we uh, wrap this up, and that is uh, today is a special day for Pascal. Um, <laughs> I forgot it already. <laughs> Once again. No, you're celebrating. Oh no, it stopped. <laughs> Yes, it's Pascal's birthday. Happy birthday, Pascal. Happy Thank birthday. you very much. Thank you very, very much. <laughs> so much appreciated. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's that. Um, I'm not going to ask you how old you are. You can volunteer that information if you want to. <laughs> 24. 24. Holy cow. You baby. <laughs> yeah, you I have a beard. I'm not a baby anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he has to be it to show that. <laughs> right. Cool guys. Well, hey, thank you so much for being on the show. I uh, really appreciate it. Is there anything that you'd like to say before we close up? Uh, thank you for for the invitation and um, thank you for making this this Angular Air thing because I think it's awesome and uh, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, basically thanks for hosting. This is really nice. Great. Yeah. Yeah, I've had a lot of fun doing it. I'm glad that you guys came on. Um, I, hopefully, uh, people learned something about caring about their users um, from this uh, video uh, broadcast. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll just uh, sign off for now and see everybody next week. Bye, 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 guys. <laughs> bye, bye. Thank you. Bye.